Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Speech Analysis on the Public Speakers Podcast. Now, today's speech analysis is going to be a TED Talk by Stephen Webb, and this talk is called Where Are All the Aliens? Um, I really like this talk just because I generally, I'm a little biased. I like scientific sort of stuff about space and aliens and galaxies and stuff like that. Um, but overall, I thought the talk had a pretty good message. Um, the one thing I would take away from this is that I would cut down a little bit on the scientific elements of this talk in terms of, I just think there was a little bit too much like technical information that a lot of people in the audience are just not technical enough to understand or like they just haven't been in that industry a lot. So I would cut a little bit of that time off and add a little bit more to the larger purpose that Stephen was getting it at to the end, which I thought was really the the beauty of the talk. And that part is about um, understanding the, the insignificant probability or like the likelihood or the, the, the significant probability that we as humans are the only things that exist or are not the only things that exist. The paradox of just not knowing what there is in the universe or not knowing if we're the only ones in the universe is what creates meaning and purpose and gratitude for us to be able to recognize how meaningful um, this moment is because we are able to consciously experience it. Um, so I, th I would have expanded a lot more on that theme, which I think Stephen was getting towards at the end, um, that I think just could have gotten even further. But overall, I think this was a great speech, had a lot of good elements to it, talked a lot about uh, stuff that's really abstract and brought it down to a material level. So um, I hope you all enjoy the speech analysis. I hope you all take something away from this. And without further ado, let's get into the talk. I saw a UFO once. I was eight or nine playing in the street with a friend who's a couple of years older. And we saw a featureless silver disc hovering over the houses. We watched it for a few seconds, and then it shot away incredibly quickly. Even as a kid, I got angry. It was ignoring the laws of physics. We ran inside to tell the grown-ups, and they were skeptical. You'd be skeptical too, right? I got my own back a few years later. One of those grown-ups told me, last night I saw a flying saucer. I was coming out of the pub after a few drinks. I stopped him there, I said, I can explain that sighting. Psychologists have shown we can't trust our brains to tell the truth. It's easy to fool ourselves. I saw something, but what's more likely, that I saw an alien spacecraft or that my brain misinterpreted the data my eyes were giving it. Ever since though, I've wondered, why don't we see flying saucers flitting around? At the very least, why don't we see life out there in the cosmos? Okay, so let's talk a little bit about uh, this introduction. So I, this introduction was a personal experience, essentially. So it was bringing up Stephen's past and how he uh, thought he saw a UFO or maybe he did see a UFO, but no one would believe him. So the beginning of it is kind of... Uh, important because it's a personal experience that's unique enough to get the audience to care about like oh my god did you actually see a ufo because all of us like all of humanity would be like going crazy if there were, we actually found out there were aliens um so the, the the beginning of it is using a personal experience to try to get the audience to care about what uh steven went through the second part of this is that he's bringing up the problem in the speech so it's already a minute 18 into the speech but he's but he's beginning to bring up the problem which is why can't we see life out in the cosmos or why haven't we seen aliens or why haven't we come across this so already in the beginning of the speech after the introduction the problem is seeming to be introduced so now the rest of the speech because it's called where are all the aliens will seem to be some either explanation of why we can't see uh aliens uh, in, in terms of the scientific reasons or um, maybe a potential solution towards how we would be able to see aliens and then i'm curious to see what the larger purpose of this speech really is about 
Um, but nonetheless, the introduction and the problem have already started to be injected into the speech. So now we're going to see where it goes from here. It's a puzzle. And I've discussed it with dozens of experts from different disciplines over the past three decades. And there's no consensus. Frank Drake began searching for alien signals back in 1960. So far, nothing. And with each passing year, this non-observation, this lack of evidence for any alien activity gets more puzzling because we should see them, shouldn't we? The universe is 13.8 billion years old, give or take. If we represent the age of the universe by one year, then our species came into being about 12 minutes before midnight, 31st December. Western civilization has existed for a few seconds. Extraterrestrial civilizations could have started in the summer months. Imagine a summer civilization developing a level of technology more advanced than ours, but tech based on accepted physics, though. I'm not talking wormholes or warp drives, whatever. Just an extrapolation of the sort of tech that TED celebrates. That civilization could program self-replicating probes to visit every planetary system in the galaxy. If they launched the first probes just after midnight, one August day, then before breakfast same day, they could have colonized the galaxy. So that's really interesting. Um, that's, that's pretty cool. I never thought about it like that. So I really like what Steven's doing here, which is condensing the, the known history of the universe, the 14-some billion years, into a summer day. And, and, and sort of comparing of like summer, fall, and uh, midnight of the beginning of the new year as like billions and billions of years in and of those seasons themselves, which is uh, allowing him to make this analogy of what uh, technology would have advanced in, from the summer to December based upon how much time we would have had and how those aliens, if they had that technology or that extraterrestrial life, um, could have been able to do things far beyond the technology that we've been able to do because Western civilization in the grand scheme of the universe really has only existed for a couple of seconds, uh, which is kind of mind-blowing to think about, just like given how much like civilization there is. It's kind of crazy. Um, but I think this is really cool. If you were actually listening to the speech you would and, and you were there, you'd probably be enamored by just like how incredible of an analogy that is from a scientific term to just like the, the explanation of what it means for our existence as a species. Um, but it also is definitely getting me hooked and caring about what the next part of the speech is. So uh, let's see where Stephen goes from here. But perfect analogy. If you can make a really good analogy, you can really get people to care about what you're trying to say. Intergalactic colonization isn't much more difficult. It just takes longer. A civilization from any one of millions of galaxies could have colonized our galaxy. Seems far-fetched. Maybe it is, but wouldn't aliens engage in some recognizable activity? Put worldlets around a star to capture free sunlight, collaborate on a Wikipedia Galactica, or just shout out to the universe, we're here. So where is everybody? It's a puzzle because we do expect these civilizations to exist, don't we? After all, there could be a trillion planets in the galaxy, maybe more. You don't need any special knowledge to consider this question, and I've explored it with lots of people over the years. And I found they often frame their thinking in terms of the barriers that would need to be cleared if a planet is to host a communicative civilization. 
And they usually identify four key barriers. Habitability, that's the first barrier. We need a terrestrial planet in that just right Goldilocks zone where water flows as a liquid. They're out there. In 2016, astronomers confirmed there's a planet in the habitable zone of the closest star, Proxima Centauri. So close, the Breakthrough Starshot project plans to send probes there become a star-faring species. But not all worlds are habitable. Some will be too close to a star and they'll fry, some will be too far away and they'll freeze. Abiogenesis, the creation of life from non-life, that's a second barrier. The basic building blocks of life aren't unique to Earth. Amino acids have been found in comets, complex organic molecules in interstellar dust clouds, water in exoplanetary systems. The ingredients are there, we just don't know how they combine to create life, and presumably there'll be worlds on which life doesn't start. The development of technological civilization is a third barrier. Some say we already share our planet with alien intelligences. A 2011 study showed that elephants can cooperate to solve problems. A 2010 study showed that an octopus in captivity can recognize different humans. 2017 studies show that ravens can plan for future events. Wonderful, clever creatures. But they can't contemplate the Breakthrough Starshot project, and if we vanished today, they wouldn't go on to implement Breakthrough Starshot. Why should they? Evolution doesn't have space travel as an end goal. There'll be worlds where life doesn't give rise to advanced technology. Communication across space, that's a fourth barrier. Maybe advanced civilizations choose to explore inner space rather than outer space, or engineer at small distances rather than large. Or maybe they just don't want to risk an encounter with a potentially more advanced and hostile neighbor. There'll be worlds where, for whatever reason, civilizations either stay silent or don't spend long trying to communicate. As for the height of the barriers, your guess is as good as anyone's. In my experience, when people sit down and do the math, they typically conclude there are thousands of civilizations in the galaxy. But then we're back to the puzzle. Where is everybody? By definition, UFOs, including the one I saw, are unidentified. We can't simply infer their spacecraft. You can still have some fun playing with the idea aliens are here, some say a summer civilization did colonize the galaxy and seeded Earth with life. Others that we're living in a cosmic wilderness preserve, a zoo. Yet others that we're living in a simulation. Programmers just haven't revealed the aliens yet. Most of my colleagues, though, argue that ET is out there. We just need to keep looking. And this makes sense. Space is vast. Identifying a signal is hard, and we haven't been looking that long. Without doubt, we should spend more on the search. It's about understanding our place in the universe. It's too important. Okay, um, so, so far, let's talk about what we have in this speech. Um, I think it's interesting for sure. The, the only problem I'm having with this speech so far is a little... Um, organization-wise, right? Like, I think there's a lot of stuff floating around in different areas in terms of 
why I should care about this stuff. So he's like bringing up some problems and he's saying, well, maybe this could exist. And he's bringing up some other examples. Well, in that planet, like it's just kind of all over the place. Not necessarily like it's bad. I think the content is very interesting, but that's maybe because me, because I kind of like uh, hearing about space stuff. But in terms of the organization of the content in order for like a syllogism to be firmed and going from A to B to C, um, I think it is a little bit lacking in terms of the organization. But let's see where Steven wraps it up and kind of goes from here. Important a question to ignore. But there's an obvious answer. We're alone. It's just us. There could be a trillion planets in the galaxy. Is it plausible we're the only creatures capable of contemplating this question? Well, yes, because in this context, we don't know whether a trillion is a big number. In 2000, Peter Ward and Don Brownlee proposed the rare earth idea. Remember those four barriers that people use to estimate the number of civilizations? Ward and Brownlee said there might be more. Let's look at one possible barrier. It's a recent suggestion by David Waltham, a geophysicist. This is my very simplified version of Dave's much more sophisticated argument. We are able to be here now because Earth's previous inhabitants enjoyed four billion years of good weather. Ups and downs, but more or less clement. But long-term climate stability is strange, if only because astronomical influences can push a planet towards freezing or frying. There's a hint our moon has helped, and that's interesting, because the prevailing theory is that the moon came into being when Theia, a body the size of Mars, crashed into a newly formed Earth. The outcome of that crash could have been a quite different Earth-Moon system. We ended up with a large moon, and that permitted Earth to have both a stable axial tilt and a slow rotation rate. Both factors influence climate, and the suggestion is that they've helped moderate climate change. Great for us, right? But Waltham showed that if the moon were just a few miles bigger, things would be different. Earth's spin axis would now wander chaotically. There'd be episodes of rapid climate change, not good for complex life. The moon is just the right size, big, but not too big. A Goldilocks moon around a Goldilocks planet, a barrier perhaps. You can imagine more barriers. For instance, simple cells came into being billions of years ago. But perhaps the development of complex life needed a series of unlikely events. Once life on Earth had access to multicellularity and sophisticated genetic structures and sex, new opportunities opened up. Animals became possible. But maybe it's the fate of many planets for life to settle at the level of simple cells. Purely for the purposes of illustration, let me suggest four more barriers to add to the four that people said blocked the path to communicative civilization. Again, purely for the purposes of illustration, suppose there's a one in a thousand chance of making it across each of the barriers. Of course, there might be different ways of navigating the barriers, and some chances will be better than one in a thousand. Equally, there might be more barriers, and some chances might be one in a million. Let's just see what happens in this picture. So before uh, Stephen wraps it up, I think this was a really good analogy, actually. This was actually keeping me very interested, and I think um, was cohesive enough in terms of the way it was communicated. So the way he's describing the 
fact that there's a trillion other planets, but it's still only possible that Earth is capable of life is because he's describing the basically trillionth of a chance that we had a perfect sun in, in a perfect Goldilocks zone with a perfect size of a moon. That all those other trillions of planets, in terms of reaching perfection to be able to grow habitable life, might not have. Um, so that example in and of itself really does grapple you in in terms of why um, the, the, the necessity of the rare Earth is a real thing. And it makes you wonder, as an answer to why we can't see aliens, because there may not be the perfect situation in a trillion other planets for there to actually be aliens. If the galaxy contains a trillion planets, how many will host a civilization capable of contemplating, like us, a project such as Breakthrough Starshot? Habitability, right sort of planet around the right sort of star, the trillion becomes a billion. Stability, a climate that stays benign for eons, the billion becomes a million. Life must start, the million becomes a thousand. Complex life forms must arise, the thousand becomes one. Sophisticated tool use must develop, that's one planet in a thousand galaxies. To understand the universe, they'll have to develop the techniques of science and mathematics. That's one planet in a million galaxies. To reach the stars, they'll have to be social creatures capable of discussing abstract concepts with each other using a complex grammar. One planet in a billion galaxies. And they have to avoid disaster, not just self-inflicted, but from the skies too. That planet around Proxima Centauri, last year it got blasted by a flare one planet in a trillion galaxies, just as in the visible universe. I think we're alone. Those colleagues of mine who agree we're alone often see a barrier ahead. Bioterror, global warming, war. A universe that's silent because technology itself forms the barrier to the development of a truly advanced civilization depressing, right? I'm arguing the exact opposite. I grew up watching Star Trek and Forbidden Planet and I saw a UFO once. So this idea of cosmic loneliness, I certainly find slightly wistful. But for me, the silence of the universe is shouting, we're the creatures who got lucky. All barriers are behind us. We're the only species that's cleared them the only species capable of determining its own destiny. And if we learn to appreciate how special our planet is, how important it is to look after our home and to find others, how incredibly fortunate we all are simply to be aware of the universe, well, humanity might survive for a while. And all those amazing things we dreamed aliens might have done in the past, that could be our future. Thank you very much. Right, so this is Where Are All the Aliens by Stephen Webb. I, I really like the ending of this speech um, in terms of Stephen sort of admitting, look, I think we're alone, and he gave out all the probabilities for why we are probably alone, just based upon, like, the, the extreme unlikeliness that there's another habitable planet just like us. Um, but sort of ending it with just the recogni recognition that being alone is something to not necessarily be proud of, but feel special about, right? Like, if you are the one out of trillions that actually is able to consciously contemplate the nature of your existence it's a very important thing to be happy about that and to to to, to find meaning in in that in and of itself um i think the speech could have actually 
gone a little bit further. So maybe if I was coaching this, I would have cut down a little bit more on the scientific explanation part in the part where I was just like, okay, I don't know what he's talking about. Or like, this is kind of uh, disorganized. I would cut like two minutes off of that. And the final two minutes, I would have made it even a bigger philosophical argument about like accepting the um, importance of our meaning and why our meaning uh, is so important based upon the fact that we don't know what else is out there. And uh, that that requires us to look over this planet that requires us to feel the insane gratitude we should feel to even be able to experience human life um, and that would be sort of my larger message when talking about where are the aliens um, you know because technically we could be the aliens and the fact that we are we should be happy that we have this moment as a species so overall I really like that speech um, I thought the scientific analysis was really good I'm probably gonna look this person up because I'm sure they're in the science community and I want to hear more of the stuff they're talking about but yeah, leave a speech in the comments that you would like me to review on a future video. Public speaking wise, I think the speech was okay. Um, voice definitely got a little bit monotone, so that's the one other thing I would criticize is like, should be a little bit more excited in terms of the cool stuff that he's talking about. Like, instead of saying one in a trillion, I'd be like, one in a trillion, right? Pause a little bit, give it a little bit more rhetoric, give it a little bit more um, emphasis, and then let that internalize and sit with the audience. But outside of that, I thought the content of the speech was pretty good. So thank you guys for watching this episode of Speech Analysis. I'll see you on the next episode and leave a speech in the comments. Hopefully it'll make this channel. Bye.